Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. With One Sonic. High definition audio noise cancelling headphones designed in Ireland. Visit onesonic.com. This is News Talk. Welcome to Tech Talk, Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, I'll take you inside on Pust's Parcel Hub and we'll hear how tech has transformed how your online shopping makes its way to your door. Plus, Emmett Ryan will join us to look back at the best gadgets of 2021. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. Now, I don't know about you, but I have done most of my shopping this year online. It was a mix of being time poor and COVID conscious, but I found it a great experience. And a huge part of what made it so great was the speed at which the gifts arrived from the retailers to my front door. And as we all know, I'm an inquisitive nerd and I wanted to understand how the cogs in the logistics machine works when it comes to deliveries like that. I headed out to OnPost's Dublin Parcel Hub and Mail Centre on Thursday to see it all in action. Now, before my report, firstly, I want to apologise in advance for the excitement in my voice throughout. I honestly loved seeing the tech in action. But I also want to emphasise just how impressive this site is. It's incredibly expansive and it has received millions of euro worth of investment in recent past. That investment didn't stop during the pandemic, but as the operations director, Adam Post, Craig Skelton, explained to me during our tour, the timing of the tech's arrival could not have been better. Um, by, by luck, it, it was by design as part of our long, longer term plan, but by luck, just before um, Christmas peak last year, when pandemic volumes, which our volumes almost trebled overnight in parcels and packets as a result of the pandemic. And then at peak times, we know they double, treble in any case. Our second automated machine, this one here in the mail center, uh, we, was commissioned six months earlier than planned in November, 2020. And that allowed us to efficiently and effectively process all of that volume and meet the service levels. So this machine that we're looking at is an automated sorting machine. We're sorting to 115 delivery site destinations, and this is primarily for postal volume. Okay. So it's in our mail center, it's primarily for postal traffic that we receive from, um, we receive domestically about 60%, and then the balance comes from the rest of the world, big chunk of that being the UK. Can you just try and describe what exactly, because the, the image that I have, or the best way I can think of describing it is that scene from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the newer one, where the dad is working in the toothpaste factory and there's all these machines and everything is just happening. There are plenty of people on the floor working away, yeah. but it is, it's an incredible piece of kit. Yeah, it absolutely is. So, but, but, as I say, this is our automated um, parcel and packet sorting machine. So essentially, it's like um, it's like a large uh, conveyor belt you'd see at the airport, and but that's at height. And the reason that's at height is to allow items to travel round and be sorted or dropped down to their container for the destination point. So what happens is, product arrives into our building, and all the checks 
the loading bays are on the far side of that wall. All the checks for compliance are done at that point. Now all of the volume is tracked. You can see the plastic pallet boxes we use to transit stuff. They're all barcoded, so when an item goes into that box, it's scanned to the box. So we can just bleep the box and know everything that's in there. So we're tracking items all of the time. And that is part of the track and trace system that customers will see on our website that tells them where their item is. So we bring in the goods, we scan them as received, and then we empty them. There's automated tippers for pallet boxes. We empty them onto the um, incline, uh, conveyor belt incline for sortation on the machine. And what happens at that point is the, the, the items go up the incline, so a climbing conveyor belt. They are then um, paused so that it's one item to one carrier. So on that conveyor belt at height, there are 144 carriers. So one item per carrier. And essentially, once the item's on there and it's facing the right way, so automatically it'll be flipped to face the right way, facing the right way, it goes through a series of scan points where our machine is looking for the barcode, which identifies the item and its destination point. Where there is no barcode, it, it can optically read the address, the, the written or printed address, and sorts to that. So it knows that item number one is going round the machine and I need to drop that into container number 74 because that's going to cork, as is the item. Roughly how long do, does this process take and roughly how long does something like this, like one of those parcels that I'm looking at now, that box there, how long will that spend in this centre? Um, ideally, uh, less than a day. So we, what we receive today, we aim to process on the machine today to have it out in delivery tomorrow. That's always our target. Um, by and large, that's the service we operate to. You know, we know that um, people receive their items on their due delivery day and only at times of peak may that 24 hour stretch we haven't got there this year brilliantly because of the capacity we've now got um, so that item would be less than a day and we we try and get to the point where we process on receipt so at the moment this this operation will start at midday today start processing and will run until 4am in the morning and everything processed in that 14 hour window will be out on delivery tomorrow. Incredible. And the technology, I mean, obviously it's hugely beneficial. You've described how it worked. How does it, inter how did the staff interact with the technology and how does the technology benefit the staff, particularly people who've worked for OnPost for years and years and years? Yeah, so there's always, there's always a transition and it's always challenging for people that have um, done the same job for a long time using the same equipment so it is um, it is tough for the guys to change however within two weeks all of the feedback is oh my god this is so much better so for instance the machine will tell us on the big screen we're looking at mm -hmm. this tells our team how we're performing so it tells us how many items we're processing in total and how many were processed in an hour. That in itself is one of the best points of feedback the guys give us, saying, oh my God, it's great, we can see your progress, whereas in the old world, we didn't know how we were progressing, so that's good. 
the small green boxes on that um, screen. So the screen is showing a graphic of the processing machine. The small green boxes are these green plastic pallet box containers we're looking at. And that screen will go red when the box is full. So in a previous world, items would come down a manual gravity-based conveyor belt and just keep getting into the box. So our guys would spend a significant part of the day cleaning that up because when the box got full, everything fell everywhere. Um, so lots of benefits, lots of benefits. A lot more transparent in, in terms of progress every hour of every day. And you mentioned about the scanning and how all of these green bins have a scan every letter. So you can track down to if I send a letter or a parcel, you'll know exactly where it is, what bin it's been through, and then when it goes out. Yeah, so letters are a bit different, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but for parcels and packets, yeah. absolutely. If the item is barcoded, we can follow it. We know where it is in our chain at any one time. So when people are giving out that they have to print off uh, a barcode for returns, for example, that's yeah. why it's to that's make that process so better. important, yeah. It just speeds up the entire process. So obviously number one getting out there and delivery making sure everyone's got their item when they need it but equally important if it's a return and we're waiting on a refund make sure that gets through the chain as quickly as possible how many parcels go through this on a on a daily basis would you say so we we the, the one thing we've got is we can flex the time we operate this machine we have a target that we um, process and sort out on delivery 10,000 items per hour. So at the moment we're running 14 hours, so today our target is 140,000 items processed on this machine and it will be a similar number for the next machine we will look at for parcel sortation. That's incredible. Yeah. In terms of um, manpower, because we've done a lot in recent years about technology assistive robots and so on i still see human beings on the floor yeah. here it's not fully automated no. at all no. how important is that collaboration and do you still have the same number of staff you know working in this floor on this floor but maybe in different roles yeah so that collaboration between um having the human being involved uh, alongside the automation and technology is so important a big part of what we do is all about quality of service. So we always need to be ensuring that we're, we're tracking our progress, ready to intervene. It may be we need to make a decision to bring that forward. That's more important to go. Equally, um, safety plays a big part in everything that we do. And everything you're looking at here, Jess, will go be shipped onward to a delivery site. So it has to be presented in the most robust and safe manner. In terms of our overall colleague count, absolutely, we have the same number of colleagues, but what we've been able to do with this investment in the mails and postal processing is reinvest those colleagues into the ever-growing parcel processing world that we'll look at next. Yeah, that is part one of my tour inside the mail centre in Dublin with Craig Skelton, the operations director at OnPost. The site is an excellent example of collaborative technology working alongside human beings. And coming up, we will head over to the second giant hub where thousands of parcels are being processed and heading for your door. Tech Talk, Tech Talk. on News Talk with One Sonic. High-definition audio noise-cancelling headphones designed in Ireland. Visit onesonic.com.
Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Tech Talk at Newstalk.com as ever is the email address if you want to get in touch. I am bringing you inside the Dublin Parcel Hub with On Post. This is a peak time for busyness for the guys and gals out there. We heard earlier in the show that the mail centre that I visited uh, was processing 10,000 items an hour, which works out at around 140,000 items a day. That can be scaled up or scaled down as required with thanks to the tech that On Post has on site. So now Craig Skelton, the operations director at OnPost, takes me inside the parcel processing site, which blew my tiny mind, as you will hear in just a second. Uh, we walked across the parking lot and saw some of the vehicles and heard about the important role they play in getting you your post. You see, we're looking at some large vehicles here. We have 300 large vehicles. Those large vehicles make 1,200 movements every day in life, moving product from one centre to another. Now that's apart from our 4,000 delivery vans we see at delivery offices. These large vehicles are really sweated all of the time, making sure we've got the right product in the right place to meet that service. It's great to see the, the electric yeah, vehicles absolutely. coming into the fore, especially when you are covering the ground that you're covering every single day. Absolutely. Um, we're learning all the time about running EVs as a fleet because as you know, on the scale, 25% of our 4,000 uh, units are electric. So we're learning all the time because no one else has done it. We are trailblazing, but absolutely a thousand, 25% of that fleet, we won't stop there. Our plan is that we increase the number of electric vehicles throughout Ireland um, over the coming 12, 24 months and probably get nearer um, 40% of our overall fleet within the next 18 months. Do the same drivers that do mail deliveries also do the parcel deliveries or is that different? Yeah, mostly. So we, we have uh, about 10% of our overall activity will be parcels only. And that's simply because volume. Volume dictates you need to do something different. But absolutely, um, we try and combine routes because that, um, the importance of every um, postal operative in the community is just something that we never lose sight of. So it's brilliant that they can deliver both the letter mail and the parcel mail. Yeah. So we try and bring that to the fore. And this is, the, the, just as we walk through here, there, tech at the front of everything we do. This is us trialling how can we bring in EV charging points for our staff when they're parked in our buildings. Mm -hmm. So we're trialling this every day. We have you two working out how do we site them in the car park. All part of the sustainability drive. So this, Jess, this is our... Dublin Parcel Hub, we know it affectionately as DPH. This um, building, we procured the building in 2017 and we got it fully automated and operational by September 2019. And it's very much part of our longer term planning, obviously being aware back in 19 that the growth of e-commerce was going to continue and be significant year on year. What we couldn't have foreseen was the volumes that the um, worldwide pandemic would drive through and just as with that happening we see the absolute benefit of having this operation allowing us to provide that service. Have you ever thought about the um, the impact on the postal service if you hadn't had all of these sort of ducks in a row pre-pandemic yeah. what status on post would be in today? Yeah I think um, I don't think there's anything we could have done in a manual environment to meet the expected service levels. 
there are many examples of other posts around the world who for that very reason Jess were challenged and the service just dropped away and the chain got blocked up so the fact that we never arrived at that place the fact that we kept going every day and broadly met all the service levels is just amazing so this this operation it might look a bit disjointed it's absolutely not it's just the time that we're in here so what we have here is we have the parcel machine parcel sorting machine that we described earlier in the mail center we have the we have the bigger sibling of that here right now so this this is a machine the company that actually built machines a company called Bimer it uses many different uh, bits of technology but essentially it's an automatic sorting machine designed to allow us to process and get out on delivery about 10,000 items per hour. So I'll show you what's happening. So essentially, along here is volume arriving enters. And volume arrives in from many different customers. Examples of which are Brown Thomas Arnett's, Elvery's, Amazon. <coughs> and volume arrives in many different ways. So customers will send volume into us in a cage, in a pallet box, in a cardboard box. And then all we, what we need to do is in the most um, safe, in the most safe manner, unload these items and get them onto the machine. So, in terms of getting them onto the machine, we've got a number of different inducts. Here, this volume here, you can see the sign saying boom two. That's a telescopic boom that um, comes out and goes in the back of vehicles that are what we call loose loaded. So they're not on pallets in cages. It's just at the distribution centre that's left, all the items just get thrown loose on the machine. So the telescopic boom goes in the back of the vehicle and we put our colleagues in there and they load the boom and it comes up and around the machine. Equally, the... The hand loading, this induct here, is where we are taking items out of these cardboard containers and putting them on the belt ready to load. Our colleagues and supervisors control when that machine releases, when that boom releases the items to go around the machine. The middle belt is the main belt, the main processing belt. The other belts are where the different inducts converge and get all the items onto the main belt. You can see the main belt is in sections, so ultimately we're looking for one item on one section. Because okay. that means that we, we get the speed of multiple items going through, but they're distanced enough to allow the machine here to read the barcode or the address. And what we're looking for, Jess, is we're looking for every item to be read on first pass and drop down into one of those green containers. That makes it efficient for us and gives us a great shot of meeting our 10,000 per hour. I can't get over the pace at which they're flying. Like, as I'm talking now, there are parcels zipping by. They're not stopping under the scanner, the, the barcode no. scanner. They're literally breezing through. They're not slowing down in any way. It's actually a bit mind-blowing to yeah. see it all go by. It's yeah, incredible. It, it really is. And as we are standing here talking, and 
um, watching what's going on, there will be hundreds of items passing us and being sorted. And you can see the mix in shapes and sizes. Yeah. So that makes it that makes it a challenge for all of our partners to get us equipment that can read all of this, no matter the shape or size. Yeah. But we, we get it; it's phenomenal. But there's parcels from Amazon, Marks and Spencers. I'm seeing everyone's Christmas shopping before me here now, just sipping on right by. Yeah. Can you imagine how many shopping bags <laughs> that would take? I probably see some of my own. I'm just I'm looking for my name. It's incredible. And so the people over here, what, what they're taking it off one shoot, are they? And then yeah. yeah. So they're they're um, getting everything faced the right way. Any issues, they'll address it there. Large items at various stations, we put large items to the side. Um, now you can see the size of items. Yeah. So what large items can go through. For instance, see this box yeah. here. That is on the borderline of the size. You can describe the size, but yeah. the size that's compatible for the machine. We've got someone watching, you can see there. So any item larger than that will take off the belt because we don't want to clog up an infeed or a decline. So all of that's happening. You can see, again, always watching, keep the belt moving. So as I said in, in the, our mail centre, we're running that particular machine for 14 hours. This machine from the beginning of November runs 20 hours a day. And it's this busy all of the time. And again, just to give people an idea, so the items that I've seen zoom by me on the initial conveyor belt are now, you can probably hear them in the background, being dropped into the green bins. Yeah and then that's when they get hustled out, is it? They'll be, they'll be transported to the delivery site, the delivery site being where the delivery route departs from, and they will be delivered to our customers tomorrow. So you can see again, a couple of colleagues are waiting until a box is filled, so we either see that by eye, or the supervisor watching the control screen will see it and shout, that has to be retrieved. So a lid goes on, it's retrieved, and that's waiting on its transport then to go to a delivery site. And how flexible are the delivery logistics? So say, for example, if for some reason in Cork, a massive delivery came in for Cork that was treble what it normally is, do you guys then communicate with the drivers that you'll need extra trucks or whatever it yeah, is to make so that happen? Brilliantly. Our, our, our huge logistics operation is powered all the way through by on-post colleagues. So we're always speaking to each other, we're always um, planning, looking at volume and planning. And the amazing thing everyone knows is that getting that um, item out there to the required service levels at the forefront of every on-post colleague's mind. Yeah. I can see all the, the Dublin, like I'm looking for Dublin 18 now. <laughs> but how beneficial was the air code, the arrival of air code? Did that help or hinder the no, process? The, the air code absolutely helps us process when we have an air code, but it doesn't slow us down when we've not got an air code. Okay. I again, there's a great number of people here as well. So it's people working alongside the yep. automation, absolutely. which is great to see. And I don't think people sometimes think technology and they think loss of jobs or whatever it is. 
but we have loads of very, very busy people. No one is standing still here. Everybody is moving. Absolutely. And one of the brilliant things is technology advances. It's not always a case that you need less people. It's you need people doing different things. So as our technology progresses, one of the things that, that that's led to is we actually receive a lot of data two days in advance of receiving the item. So we've moved a number of colleagues to what we can call our control room. And they're just working that detail all of the time. So to your point earlier around should court volumes treble, do you tell the drivers? That's where the planning comes in. Okay. So it's not a case that we, we have less people or we, you know, we don't need people anymore. We absolutely do. We just do better, more progressive things that allows us to keep our service levels up with these huge volumes. The data that's generated it must be so beneficial from the planning side of things, from the performance side of things. Yeah. Like the data is not just generated for the craft, there is a benefit to it. Absolutely. And we're still learning, Jess, how to best use that data. An example of it is every item that you watch being processed on that conveyor, the dimensions are taken of that item when it passes that scanner. So the weight, the size, you know, every dimension is all taken and recorded. That's really useful to us for a planning perspective and equally known size of vehicles, etc. But we're still learning how we can best utilize that. During the pandemic, when people were shopping a lot online and so on, for certain parts of the country where online shopping wasn't something that was done, did you have to like upgrade vehicles or you know put a van where there was a bike and that type of thing? Absolutely, Jess. So again, we, we were clear um, based on the rate of growth that we knew at the time, we had our five-year plan, uh -huh. which was to do all of that, you know, upgrade vehicles, put more vehicles in, get bigger buildings, get more automation. We had to accelerate all of that program and deliver it in a pandemic in less than 12 months. And that, getting that done and getting that driven by every OnPost colleague means that we are operating now in this peak season with triple volumes seamlessly. So. Yeah. Final question, in terms of future, like we talked about future proofing, we've talked about massive money going into this incredible site that you have. Is there more that can be done? Is there further uh, technologies that could be deployed to make it even more efficient than it already is? Absolutely. So one, th one thing that I've learned over the last 18 months is that OnPost is historically an innovative organization, always looking at how can we do it better what's the best equipment available to us you know and that in the past that was moving from sorting things on a table to having pigeonholes but always innovating and you see the innovation now and we have got many plans over the next five years where we'll continue that we'll continue to innovate one of the things we're doing just now is just checking in that those plans are right because while we remain in the pandemic the future in particular the volume requirements is a bit uncertain so we're just making sure, but we have many plans to continue to innovate. I want to say a huge thank you to Craig Skelton and Anna McHugh at OnPost for allowing me into the Parcel Hub this week. They are incredibly busy uh, and I really appreciated being allowed access in and seeing how it all works. So thank you so much to the team. A quick reminder that uh, if you want your post to arrive by Christmas Eve, the last date to post Christmas cards to Europe was Saturday, so that is today. But you should be okay if you post them by Monday. For cards and parcels to uh, Great Britain, so the UK, Scotland and Wales, it's um, Monday the 20th. 
for Northern Ireland, it's Tuesday the 21st. And for parcels within the state, the latest date is Wednesday the 22nd. Please make sure you include the centre's details on the back of parcels and make sure that the wrapping or the, the outer layer is good and strong and that way everything runs smoothly for everybody involved. Coming up next here on News Talk, Emmett Ryan joins us for a look back at tech in 2021. Tech Talk. Tech on News Talk. With One Sonic. High definition audio noise cancelling headphones designed in Ireland. Visit onesonic.com. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. As ever, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. Uh, we are now going to take a bit of time to look back at the year what that was in the world of tech. Uh, we had plenty of devices, plenty of stories, both here in Ireland, the biggest one being the HSE cyber attack, and around the world with tech companies never being boring, which is great for people like me and my next guest, uh, Emmett Ryan, the technology editor of the Business Post. Emmett, how are you? Ah, grand, grand. Just all getting ready for Christmas. No shopping done yet, but we'll get we'll get on that presently, I'm sure. Oh my days. I have pretty much everything done now, I think. I, I say that and I'm touching wood just to make sure that I haven't forgotten anything or anyone, but on we go. Um I mentioned there that, that like there was a lot going on in the world of tech over the last twelve months. It's kind of hard to try and rack your brain and remember all of the elements. But let's start with the best devices of the year. Um, as ever, we had plenty of smartphones. Is there one that stands out to you as being the king of 2021? Yeah, and uh, it's one, I, I, honestly, I haven't made a final decision yet, but it probably will be my overall gadget of the year as well, not just smartphone of the year. It's the Samsung S21 Ultra, to be honest. It was, I think it was asking a lot for Samsung to improve the phone on the S20 enough to be noticeable, and they did. The standout feature supposes the utterly ludicrous 108 megapixel main camera, and that was. But that, you know, on top of that, the AI behind it had improved as well. There's a, a, a function in there to basically help you keep a steady hand when you're using the maximum digital zoom, so you don't need to be a surgeon. And just overall, I was just really impressed by it. It's funny. I kind of. The, the S21 to me, it, it looks really nice and all the rest, but I, I, it doesn't stand out to me as one of the top phones of the year. I'm really interested that that's, it's kind of top of your list. It's fascinating. Yeah, about it, like, and, you know, I was looking at sort of, you know, what the, for what they were, not just what they'd improved on, because if you're going for most improved, it's Google, mm -hmm. the Pixel 6 Pro, a huge step up for sure. But, um, yeah, no, it was, it, it was a tough one because I was thinking, oh, if I'm only going most improved, like, you know, that's, you know, kind of like, you know, means anyone can come from any any base and Google were coming from not being a premium the previous year. So I had them in the conversation again, like the top end iPhone as well of the iPhone 13s was in the conversation. But the only real improvement this year with the iPhones was the battery life, which in fairness was a substantial improvement. I have to say I was really impressed with the battery life of the of the of the, of the iPhone uh, 13, uh, the whole series. Uh, but I just, you know, and I was looking back at it, I was going through my notes the other day for my end of year uh, gadget review. And it was kind of weird is like, cause I had said like in February that like, you know, yep, it's predecessor one our gadget of the year as well. So it's not a surprise. It's a very good phone, but I, as I was going through the year, especially with gadgets in other areas, which I'm sure we'll get to in a second, I was still a bit surprised that at the end of it, I still had that as my top gadget of the year. Mm. Um, did the, the flip phones and the foldable phones from Samsung make the cut on your list? Uh, they didn't, no, no. Uh, that, that was the only phone to make my final sort of rostrum, so to speak. Okay. Uh, like, I was impressed by the, by the new Z Fold, I uh, will say. 
and uh, like although the Z Flip, I think might be more of a breakthrough device in terms of getting more people to try foldable phones. And so we'll we'll see how those generations really pull off through this year. But it was kind of weird because even when I was looking back, what I'd said with the, the the both Zs that came out this year, the Flip and the Fold, uh, the new editions was, oh, these could really like you know make a statement forward like with with next year's devices. And then I read back and I said the same thing with the previous generations as well. So maybe I'm just expecting something more, which isn't quite there yet, and I can't put my finger on it with them. I suppose outside of phones, the device that stood out most to me was uh, Garmin's top-end watch. It's the Phoenix 6 Pro Solar. Not a touchscreen, by the way, but just unreal battery life, uh, but also got the functionality, all the fitness functions you want. Really, really rugged uh, and just designed for anyone, anytime, essentially. I didn't uh, review that one. Uh, so, so it's not touchscreen? It's deliberately not touchscreen. So it's because it's, it's it's assuming you're going to be using it in outdoor and rough areas. And so that, you know, muddy fingers and all that might be getting in the way. So it's five. It's got five buttons instead, which are pretty easy to pick up what each of them does very quickly. Like, because like my first look at it was, oh, it's not touchscreen. And I was a bit, oh, this is weird. And it's buttons. That's very old school. But it's very, very intuitive. It, it You know, you, you work out how to use the buttons really quickly. Like, I mean, minutes of putting it on. You've worked out what everything does and you're comfortable with it. And yeah, I was just really impressed with it. Like I said, the battery life is extraordinary, like three weeks comfortably, uh, you know. Wow. And that, yeah, that just, that just stood out to me a mile off. But a very expensive phone, like it's about 799 I think, something like that. It's a, not a cheap phone, not a phone, sorry, watch. Very expensive watch, but it was a really, really good watch. And yeah, so that one stood out to me this year as probably the best not phone gadget. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very, very good, though, all the same. Okay, well, that, that's like an interesting list. Your list is different to mine, which I think is always interesting because, as I always say on the Pat Kenny Show, you know, the tech is, like, there's no shortage of innovation, but unless the tech okay. does what you want it to do, then it's not right for you. So the things that I would want would be different to the things that you would want. And I think it's interesting then that um, your list is different. The Pixel 6 would probably be my phone of the year. Um, I just was so impressed by how, far they've come like the pixel 4a is still one of my favorite phones of all time and for them to make the leap that they made with the pixel 6 and even things like the magic eraser on the camera it's such a small feature but it's so cool and so useful and it's really good for freaking people out as well like because i was taking photos in like large group areas and so i just like you know would show people with the magic eraser and i just like rub my finger over this person and they're gone mm-hmm. uh, you know and it was that was kind of going wow that's some real dystopian stuff it's like yeah but it can be useful in, in many circumstances particularly family photos and the like so yes. it can be helpful but yeah no i was very impressed with it as a phone like it was in consideration uh for sure like it makes my honorable mentions list uh, f- uh as well like the other one i suppose i'd, I'd bring up well two pairs of, of in-ear headphones one is the Cam- cambridge audio melomania touch mm-hmm. uh, and the OneSonic MXS HD1, uh, both of which really stood out to me as great earbuds this year. And like OneSonic, of course, Dublin company as well. Uh, but like very different in terms of what they're going with. Like Cambridge Audio was all about sort of the app integration. And so, you know, really high quality sound, but very much, you know, you're controlling it through your phone. Whereas OneSonic is much more about simplicity. Like there's no app, it's straight up through your Bluetooth, uh, in, out, and uh, they both like very different types of earbuds, but both really, really impressed me. And just to show uh, the level, because, you know, you're saying what, you know, your favorites were versus mine. But while I gave the, the S21 Ultra my phone of the year and I have Cambridge Audio slightly ahead of one Sonic in the rankings, 
I'm currently using the One Sonics and the Google Pixel Six for a project. So mm. you know, it's like you know, I was trying to sort of go with not just what's for me, but like what, what I think I was like you know, with the readers we have uh, go. So it varies obviously, but yeah, it's it's subjective. But there was no shortage of good options, I think, in gadgets this year. Yeah, there's also no shortage of tech stories this year to keep people like us very, 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 very busy. Um, is there one that stands out to you as the tech story of 2021? Well, it's kind of mad because I had to double check because that's the way this year has been. Oh, yeah, HSC Cyber Attack was this year. Mm-hmm. That's, it feels so long ago because to me, like, you know, it's such it's been a dominant story for so long. And obviously we have the update with the Coom as well in, in recent days that, you know, it's like, it's just it has been the dominant Irish tech story of the year. Like and you know, it, it's just the nature of it, like and the, the level of impact. I don't really see how anything could compete with it, to be honest, when it comes to Irish tech stories. Like it was just I remember when it happened, because I I remember having a chat with a cabbie about this the, the week or two afterwards. I normally have a very chaotic Friday with the nature of my job, Jess. But for once, for once, going to bed on Thursday, I had everything in order. I knew exactly when and where everything was being done. Everything was fine. And I wake up and the HSEs had a cyber attack. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, so much for best laid plans. Uh, and so, you know, it was, it was an extraordinary story, obviously, what happened. Uh, and we're still dealing with the fallout today. Yeah, so it was May 14th. And like you, I remember the entire day, minute by minute, I woke up at 6.30 and by 6.41, we had the press release about the attack. And um, yeah, it was it was bonkers. It was utterly bonkers. And I think, you know, I was chatting to Kieran Cudahy on the hard shoulder last week about the report that was published um, by PwC into the attack. And it really highlighted how you know, people like you and I, Emmett, because we're tech journalists, we, we assume that everybody has good knowledge of, or we'd like to think that everybody would have a basic knowledge of cybersecurity and so on. And that report really highlighted how not just the HSE, but organisations around this country need to take cybersecurity seriously. It's not a sexy subject, but when yeah. an attack comes knocking on your door, it can cause mass devastation for a prolonged period of time. Oh, yeah. And like, you know, it, it all comes back to the classic security fatigue problem that people have been getting told about cybersecurity for so long. They kind of sort of put in their back of their mind. It's like it's not boy you cried wolf stuff here. There are actually, you know, wolves at the door every time. It's just different things are being done to fix them. Like my running joke is the worst thing we ever did was we fixed Y2K. So everybody thought it wasn't a, a disaster. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's kind of going if we let Y2K happen, I think people would be a lot more aware of, uh, you know, what, what can actually go wrong when we don't patch things, when we don't update things and we don't observe the basic, you know, hygiene of going online. Yeah. The other big tech stories, we obviously had the tech billionaires space race, which I don't want to give any more oxygen to because, no. The one that I was really interested by, and we, we spoke about it quite a bit, was the Facebook whistleblower, Francis Hawken, coming out, and shedding further light on issues within Facebook and allegations against uh, Facebook. Um, I was chatting to a colleague in the office about this earlier on today, there, although, you know, what she said was very stark and it made people sit up, for tech journalists, there was an element of Groundhog Day because we have heard these allegations, not these exact ones, but similar allegations in the past. There have been calls for regulation of social media companies for a long time now. Um, do you think that that will have been the one that finally brings change? It's very hard to say, it really is, because like you just summed up the problem in many respects and that you and I and people older than me have been, you know, covering the, the elements of this for quite a while. And we're just so used to yet another catastrophe involving clearly 
major governance issues when it comes to how social media companies operate and major regulatory issues as well. And, uh, you know, but people are are happier just to make fun of, like, you know, Zuckerberg doing his, like, you know, on a, on a board in a, in a lake with the U.S. flag on 4th of July instead. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a, it's a tough one, Jess, like to say if this is going to be the one that breaks the camel's back. Mm. Like, I think historically it's often been one that those of us who cover it heavily when it comes to, uh, you know, major events, those of us who cover a major event heavily or major sector heavily, it's often something that comes across innocuous to us that ends up being the straw that breaks the camel's back. And I, I have a feeling that'll be the case eventually here. It'll be something comparatively innocuous to us. But if we can step back and look at it like sort of, you know, regular uh, people, you know, it's it's very different entirely. Another Facebook story I want to talk about, or there's two really, just briefly. Number one was the Ray-Ban stories, which were Facebook's smart glasses. Um, there was a lot of talk about it initially, and then it kind of fizzled out. Do you think that they will go anywhere? Uh, and like, you know, that size deliberate, because I think until we have on 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 uh, lens stuff, there's a limit to what how useful they are. Mm-hmm. Like, I was intrigued with them, but without the on lens interaction which i suppose is going to lead us into the other story you want to talk about facebook as well i think it's a bit too limited in terms of what it can do right now yeah okay well let's get to that other story which is the changing of the name from facebook to meta and this is all because mark zuckerberg has set his sights on the metaverse we did an explainer at the time if you missed it you can go to newstalk.com or the newstalk app and find older episodes of tech talk to listen back um, like this isn't going to be something that just magically appears next year. It's kind of like a five to eight year kind of at least. At like, least, yeah. yes, rigmarole. Um, do you think that we will see further steps into the metaverse next year, or is it all just going to be laying foundations? I think a lot of people are going to try and make money, uh, you know, invest in it so, so they don't miss out. Like, there's definitely the FOMO factor, but like this goes back to the Second Life, you know, which was like you know what, twelve, thirteen years ago when like CNN had a bureau in Second Life and stuff because they figured we better not miss out and this is where people are going to be living and operating. And it was like, nope, you know, that mm. didn't happen. And so like, and if people don't remember Second Life, it was like just, you know, a, it was like a multiplayer uh, online game, only there was no game, you just walked around talking to people. And someone had designed Dublin, which kind of made it a bit cool. Like they designed a city center, but like, you know, yeah, no, I, I'm not exactly expecting, you know, major things from it at all. And uh, definitely on the near term, like I, I do recall the 90 minutes of pain just waiting for a rebrand. And my general reaction and one pretty much online was meta. That's the rebrand, really. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's like uh, I, you know, because there's a whole lot of what we hope we can do in the 90 minutes of Zuckerberg talking, but not a whole lot of here's how we're going to do it or here's what we've already done. Uh, so that's why I'm not exactly like, you know, holding my breath on it. Yeah, it's funny because I, I was watching that um, event on that Thursday night as well. And. I, as much as I appreciate the pre-recorded product launches and press events and all the rest, because sometimes you can't tune in live, so it's nice to be able to click in whenever you can and watch it. Apple have absolutely killed it this year in terms of really gorgeous, very polished, lovely looking uh, pre-packaged events to launch their products. But with Zuckerberg, on that one in particular, it would have been great if it was live and if there had been an opportunity to ask questions. And I know that doesn't happen much anymore. I I remember years ago being at Mobile World Congress when um, Mark Zuckerberg was there and there was a level of interactivity. He was talking to a journalist and it was a good conversation. I One of my hopes for next year is that we see 
more, um, not more transparency, but more questioning of these tech giants. And I don't mean in an, in an aggravated way or an aggressive way or anything like that. But I do think we need to be able to ask them questions and we do need to be able to have conversations with them. And we do need to know, we can't just be consumers of it. Like we yeah, need to ask questions and get answers. Yeah, no, and it's like, it's, I, I, you have found a sort of, they, there's almost a sort of, you know, grudging, I don't like the term acceptance, but like sort of, you know, annoyance that, uh, you know, they're never going to talk, basically, mm. only talking on their terms. And it's like, you know, that's just like, you know, it's, it's useless, not just to us as journalists doing our jobs, but also what they don't realize to their businesses, because like, if they're not going to get interrogated, if they're not going to like have people ask them real hard questions, like it's very hard for anyone to, you know, truly trust them, like, you know, because they're seen as sort of separate and away from their customers. Yeah, I do hope we get a bit more trans, more, um, as I said, opportunity to question in not in an aggro way, but just in a journalistic way, which is what we do. Um, very, it's very, basically an aggro way, in fairness. Like, you know. I know, I'm, I don't have the energy to be aggro anymore. Um, very briefly, in yeah, terms. Like you younger than me, and you don't have the energy. What do you think I'm like? No, I'm exhausted, everybody. Exhausted. Um, but I'm exhausted. <laughs> before I let you go, very briefly, is there one trend or one product you're deeply anticipating for next year? Uh, well, I suppose. D digital twins, uh, which I think are going to be very interesting, Jess, because like you know they've been I think in construction for the last couple of years, but they're really coming out, and you can see the big tech companies come behind them. There's a lot of IoT in there, so essentially you've got sensors all over a, a building or a road or anything like that, and the idea is you can sort of you know react in real time to it and see if something isn't working that shouldn't be working, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that's very appealing. And uh, then the other thing I suppose, which is I'm hoping is, which is the true, true painful acceptance that NFTs are a joke, which I think we're going to get next year as well. Oh, fingers crossed. Right. Emmett Ryan, the technology editor at the Business Post. As always, thank you so much and have a lovely Christmas. Thank you. You too. And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can, of course, listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on News Talk Breakfast on Monday morning. But in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your weekend.